0: Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts and real food. I'm your host, Aron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're talking diet breaks and sustainability. i be excited about this. Yes. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 100 of the Eat Right Nutrition podcast. Nicole and I are excited because 100 triple digits. That's a huge mm. milestone. And I wasn't sure if we should be excited or we should just roll into and just keep <laughs> calm and stay cool and be like, oh, it's just episode 100. But, you know. Nicole wants me to be excited about it, so I'm going to be excited about it. I'll be excited for both of us. If whatever the boss lady says goes, that's right. (laughs) So today on our agenda, we are going to talk about diet breaks and sustainability. And what I mean by that is continuous calorie deficits versus intermittent energy restriction. And we're going to talk about how it affects you from a physiological standpoint. And how it affects you from a psychological standpoint, because there are kind of two things at play here when we're talking about diet breaks, we're talking about diet breaks from a standpoint of what's happening to your metabolism, those metabolic adaptations that we talk about, that your body goes through changes in certain hormones, which we'll get into in this episode. What's what's going on there, what's happening to your metabolic rate, but then there's also how likely are you to adhere to a program when you're doing continuous calorie deficits versus intermittent energy restriction? And we're going to get into some of the research and then we're going to get into our thoughts on some practical application. And the reason why I say our thoughts on practical application is because the reality is, is that there isn't really a set prescription. There's still research to be done in this area. I think that this is a fascinating area of research. I think it's it's very kind of like on the newer side. It's something that uh, professionals and coaches have been talking about as of really just the last few years and extrapolating this information and trying to uncover what strategies are going to work for you best. So, Nicole. Yes. Without further ado, I want to kind of start by talking about a few different studies on this topic. And then we'll talk about the physiological implications and then Mm -hmm. the psychological implications. And then, like I said, the um, the practical application of what this means to you and how to implement it. And Nicole, I'm sure you are going to want to chime in on the types of people and, you know, what they can adhere to and the mindset behind doing this type of a strategy, because that's Mm -hmm. definitely a big piece of the puzzle as well. So episode 100, we're going to start by talking about the Matador study, which Matador stands for Minimizing Adaptive Thermogenesis and Deactivating Obesity Rebound. And I want to kind of put into context the title of this article because Mm. it's an interesting title. This is where we get into things like something like The Biggest Loser, for example. Yeah. And we've looked at studies that track Biggest Loser contestants, you know, like five. I think it was five years after Mm -hmm. the uh, after the show. And they look at different metabolic changes. They look at leptin resistance. They look at. Uh, thyroid function. They look at how much weight they regained Mm -hmm. uh, all of these different parameters, and they find that they've gained a significant amount of weight back. And statistically speaking, when it comes to fat loss and weight loss Mm -hmm. overall, what we find is that losing the weight is probably I I don't even want to say half the battle. Losing the weight is less than half the battle. Yeah, because keeping it off is is the majority of the issue that we're facing when it comes to fat loss and this is this kind of speaks to the title of this uh, this article that was written in 2018, where it's minimizing adaptive thermogenesis and deactivating obesity rebound, because that's exactly what we're talking about. Obesity rebound. We don't mm-hmm. want people to rebound after they've lost weight. I mean, how many times have you heard a story from an individual that has lost weight and then gained it back? And the typical story is I gained it back plus plus 10 percent more mm-hmm. so all of the kind of strategies and the work that we put into or that the scientists put into the research is a lot of it is centered around. Okay, well, listen, we know that energy restriction is the key to taking weight off, but we haven't quite figured out for the majority of people how to keep that off. The majority of dieters are going to be unsuccessful long term, and that's a big problem.
1: Yeah. Yep. I think I mean, the biggest losers probably the simplest because they lost the weight so fast and so aggressively. But I think for our general population or for any coaches that are listening or even any person or or any of our listeners that have lost weight quickly and then rebounded and gained a few pounds or even gained all the weight back, the speed in which you lose the weight and the mindset around, for me, the mindset around creating the weight loss is a big piece to whether or not it's something that you can sustain and do long term. And it we you know, we talk about lifestyle versus short term change.
0: Yeah. And Nicole, I think that the well, so the biggest loser is the most extreme example. Yeah, yeah. I honestly think when it comes to mindset, and this is where I'm big on education and educating individuals, which is one of the things that we do on this podcast, Mm -hmm. educating individuals on the why Right. But then as yeah. coaches, we also have to get past those mental barriers mm-hmm. so that because sometimes regardless of us explaining the why and, the, and how much the why makes sense and all you can use all the research in the world. But if you can't get that person past that mental barrier, Mm -hmm. where they're afraid to try certain things because they're afraid that they're going to regain the weight when the reality is if they do it the way that they're doing it now. Yeah, they're going to regain it anyway. They're going to regain it. Right. So a lot of it for us as coaches is trying to get a handle on how do I get through that mental barrier and break that down Mm -hmm. for this person so that they're okay with just trying it so that they can see what's on the other side of this.
1: Yeah. Well, like you mentioned, we talk about the research and and studies and they are getting diving deeper into this topic simply because we are really starting to see the negative aspects of not just people regaining the weight, but also like you are gonna, I know you're gonna talk about it, what that does to the person's body, their physiology, their mindset, and and their health, their overall health long term.
0: Yeah, so let's get into it. So the Matador study was a 2008 study, and it aimed to determine whether or not intermittent energy restriction, which is essentially giving people diet breaks uh, at multiple different intervals during their diet, so so whether- wait,
1: you explain that so everybody gets that. That means being in a calorie deficit for a certain period of time, and then yeah, so
0: being in a calorie deficit for a period of time, and then coming out of that calorie deficit and going into a planned maintenance. Mm-hmm. And then going back into that deficit and then coming back out and doing a planned maintenance. Right. So okay. the, the question was, does this in, intermittent energy restriction enhance weight loss when compared to traditional continuous energy restriction, which is just, Hey, let's say if I'm eating 1500 calories and that's my uh, calorie deficit, like let's say I'm doing a 30% calorie deficit. Uh, and I do that consistently for, uh, in this case, it's 16 weeks. Right. So if I do that for a period of 16 weeks, Or if I go in and out of the deficit, maintenance, deficit, maintenance, deficit, which one is going to have a greater outcome, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we're looking at in basically this whole body of research that we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. So what we found was so the way that this study was broken down was you had 16 weeks of continuous dieting versus what was the total. And this is the interesting part, too, is that you have a total of 30 weeks of dieting it's, so it's 16 weeks of dieting in both groups. I, I, I don't know how like I'll kind of word it like this. There's 16 weeks of total calorie restriction. Right. In each group. But one group is doing it all in one shot and then the other group is breaking it up. So they're actually ending up at 30 weeks. So what they did with this group, the intermittent group, was they did eight two week blocks of energy restriction alter alternating with seven two-week blocks of energy balance or maintenance calories, right? Mm-hmm. So that totaled 30 weeks because you've got eight two-week blocks and seven two-week blocks. You add that up, that's thir- that's 30 total weeks. Mm-hmm. So they alternated between two weeks of a calorie deficit and then they'd go up to maintenance mm-hmm. for two weeks. Then they'd go down for two weeks, then they'd go up for two weeks. Yep. So what they found was the group doing b- diet breaks, they retained about the same lean mass. They lost more weight the group that did diet breaks, they lost more body fat and they kept off more body fat for longer. So this study lasted about a year.
1: Yeah.
0: And they tracked progress even after the 30 weeks. Mm -hmm. So 30 weeks brings you what? A little little past uh, six, the six, six month Mark. Six months. Yep. And then they tracked both groups beyond that 16 and 30 week mark. And they said, okay, well, who's going to regain more weight? Yeah. And the group that gained the most weight back was the 16-week continuing dieting group. So we've got two things at play here. One, it seems to be more efficient to not do a continuous energy restriction. And we'll get into some of the reasons why shortly. Uh, But two, you're also able to adhere for a longer period of time from a behavioral standpoint or a psychological standpoint You're able to stay on track for a long period of time when you're not consistently restricting yourself. Now, this is interesting because it speaks volumes to people's thought processes, Mm -hmm. right? And we face this with clients all the time when we're talking about, hey, I want you to do a week of refeed or I want you to take a diet break for even a couple of days, right? Let's do a three-day diet break. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And they, they struggle with that notion because they always think, I need to just consistently either be in a deficit perpetually or Mm -hmm. I need to go lower and lower and lower. And that's the only like if I'm not losing weight, I need to go lower. And you and I, Nicole, as coaches, sometimes we say, "Okay, you know what? You've kind of plateaued. Let's bring you up and then we'll bring you back down. Yeah. So I want to get into some additional research uh, over here. So we've got that study. We've got another study here where it was six week intermittent diet, cycling, 11 days of calorie deficit. It was 55% of maintenance calories in that calorie deficit cycled with three days ad libitum feeding in 74 obese women. Now, ad libitum is you eat whenever you want. And I will say I, I don't recommend that when you're doing one of these strategies because what the majority of the body of research seems to show is that when you have a planned refeed, And this is how I approach it with my clients is when you have a plan to refeed, for example, I'll say I want you to eat an extra 400 calories for a period of three days rather than saying eat whatever you want for three days and then go back down. And the reason why is because you want to bring yourself back up to maintenance calories, because if you bring yourself beyond maintenance calories, then you have a few days. Let's say you have 11 days in a deficit and then you way overeat in those three days and you binge out. You have the potential to actually negate that deficit. And then you're in a caloric surplus and then you're not losing any weight and you're potentially gaining weight. So I don't recommend this, but I will say this study still showed. So I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, in those three days, they obviously didn't eat a past. they didn't eat past uh, a certain threshold. They still showed significantly greater weight loss in the intermittent group and Metabolic rate was maintained at higher levels in the intermittent group. So when you uh, measure somebody's basal metabolic rate, uh, and this is one of the things that we see with dieting, and this is one of the reasons why we look at this and we say, okay, well, if you're not losing weight, let's do either uh, we call it either a refeed or a diet break. Um, And the reason why we want to do that is because we want to negate some of that or we want to counter some of that. Uh, metabolic adaptation that we see where you lower your basal metabolic rate uh, through dieting. Now, you don't really I I think that lowering your basal metabolic rate through dieting, I think it's largely overstated. I don't think it's not like this huge, tremendous number that people think it is like, oh, my God, I, I damaged my metabolism by dieting. It's not like you're talking about like a 500 calorie uh, uh, adjustment in your metabolic rate because you're in a calorie deficit, it's just slight decreases. And if we can optimize your your diet and your nutrition to uh, elevate your metabolic rate past a certain point and make sure that it stays just as high as possible, uh, then we're going to have the best outcomes. And then, like I said, also from a from a sustainability standpoint, you know, you're allowing yourself a little bit of a break and then you go back into that deficit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a study that was an eight week trial comparing intermittent dieting with continuous dieting that showed that both groups achieved equal weight loss. So I, I want to kind of put a disclaimer on this. So this you kind of look at this uh, this study up front and you're like, hey, over eight weeks, intermittent versus continuous dieting achieved the same. So intermittent really isn't much better. However, you also have to keep in mind that they did one week on and one week off. So the total time spent dieting yeah. was four weeks, which mm-hmm. means that over the course of eight weeks, the net deficit yeah, was actually not as high or not as great
1: mm-hmm.
0: in the group that did intermittent. Right. So the group that If you added up the calories over an eight week period in the group that continuously dieted versus the group that intermittently dieted and you Mm -hmm. took a total of eight weeks of calories, Mm -hmm. what that will show, because it was only four weeks of actual dieting versus eight weeks, what it'll show is that Mm -hmm. the group that intermittently dieted, they actually ate more calories and they lost the same amount of weight. That's what that tells me, right? That's how I interpret that information. So those are kind of three studies. And it's interesting. uh, There's a study from uh, this was back in 2003. And this was something that Nicole Bill Campbell mentioned this on his Instagram. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was it was interesting because what they were trying to prove versus what actually happened. Yeah. And this is kind of like one of the early glimpses of this. Uh, There was a, a study titled prescribed breaks as a means to disrupt weight control efforts. And what they actually wanted to show is that interruptions would affect, would negatively affect diet adherence. So they're like, okay, well, if we do these kind of diet breaks and we we interrupt and they didn't even really call it diet breaks in the study. But if we interrupt it and give people more calories on certain days, Mm -hmm. they're going to have a really hard time going back to eating in their deficit again. And the reality was that when you compared groups, they actually had an easier time.
1: Yeah, they were and
0: shocked at that. It, it kind of backfired, and then they concluded, like, hey, there might actually be something here.
1: Yeah,
0: and now you fast forward, now we've got things like the matador study and measuring adherence through that. And you know, we know today that from a behavioral standpoint, it might be wise to intermittently diet. Now, I'm not saying that that's a strategy for everybody. But there are some physiological benefits that we want to look at here when it comes to intermittent energy restriction or diet breaks and refeeds. Mm -hmm. All right. So the first thing we want to look at, and this is something that we have uncovered in some of the research, is thyroid. And this is a lot of what is contributing to your change in energy expenditure or resting energy expenditure when you're dieting. So what we know is that dieting and it's, it's actually interesting when you look at different groups of people. Uh, What we find is when you're heavier, uh, you have less metabolic changes in in response to dieting, but individuals who are leaner. So anybody listening to this podcast that's been like a longtime fitness enthusiast or a trainer or a coach that's listening to this podcast, you'll be more likely to have adverse effects or adverse events happening, metabolically speaking, from being in, in energy restriction than somebody who's heavier and has a lot more weight to lose.
1: Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Because if you think about it, someone that's heavier probably has not lost. I mean, I can't assume that about everybody, but they've been in a place of um, comfort, I guess, for a lot longer, where someone that's exercising is stressing their body out, the good stress through exercise and movement and, you know, eating healthy, or even getting adequate sleep, someone that's a little more overweight or has more weight to lose, probably isn't moving as much, maybe isn't eating as healthy. And so, you know, the minute they reel in and make some great changes, their body will change faster in terms of the weight loss. But their effects of that stress isn't going to be as hard on their system as someone that's leaner and is already stressing their body out through exercise and diet. Does that make sense?
0: It's perceived as a, a greater stress. I think that's yeah. how it kind of works out, yeah. right? Like, so it's perceived the body perceives it as a greater stress. And I think, Nicole, one of the reasons why it could perceive it as a greater stress is you're already lean. You don't have a lot of reserves. So your body, so your your body has no choice, right? So then, then to like, okay, well I have to tamp down. I have to slow things down because there's not a lot of energy in reserve where like if you're 300 pounds and you lose 10 pounds, yeah, your body's you like, got, all right, like you still have like 150 more pounds of energy reserve that I can yeah. like your body's like, yeah, I'm fine. No, no worries. It like, can just tolerate keep it is what I'm trying to say. Where
1: and I think stress is a big piece when, you know, when you talk about those studies where it's a shorter period of time, like eight weeks versus 30 weeks, you know, eight weeks. If they're only dieting down for 44 weeks, it's not as aggressive on the body, so For a lot of people, that's really not that hard to that's like a 30 day challenge. But if you're doing 30 weeks and 16 of that is consistent dieting, that's a lot harder to maintain or adhere to or do honestly for anyone, no matter whether you're lean or not lean or have weight to lose or don't have weight to lose 16 weeks of doing that is a lot harder.
0: Well, the longer time that you spend in a energy deficit, the more uh, effects you're going to have from a metabolic standpoint. Right. I and mean, a you, mental
1: standpoint. We, like mentally, it's a
0: lot absolutely. more challenging. Well, we look at bodybuilders, right? And we look at hormone levels. Testosterone is yeah. one of the things that drops. And testosterone seems to drop later on in the contest prep Yes, exactly. Right. And it also drops when they're a lot leaner. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's something to be said for how lean you are and the metabolic effects of dieting. Right. So it's something that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. When you're dieting. And we're going to talk about that in the moment when we talk about our strategy and for who is is like which strategy is good for who or yeah. theoretical strategy, right? Because like I said, we don't have a, a set prescription for this right now. The research ha- it hasn't really completely uncovered that because like I just talked about, we just had three different intermittent uh, energy Options. restriction, right? Yeah. And I, I want to just make it clear. I'm not talking about intermittent fasting here, right? I'm yeah. talking about I'm talking about days of energy uh, of caloric. De- I'm not talking about fasting at all. We're just talking about days of caloric deficit and then days of maintenance. Yeah. Um, I don't want people to mix that up with the terminology. But like I'm saying is we've got three different time periods. One was two weeks on, two weeks off. Another one was one week on, one week off. Another one was 11 days and three days. Mm-hmm. And they were all effective. So we'll we'll kind of break down shortly for you what we think is more effective for who.
1: Well, I also think, too, when you talk about One of the things I talk to clients a lot about and to our listeners, I don't know if you've ever experienced this either yourself or with a coach or a coach has experienced it with a client. People think that they do a week of calorie deficit and the entire body will change like just like that, like that immediate change happens where to your point, what you just mentioned, Daron, is you can do 16 weeks of consistent dieting and it takes time before your hormones someone like a male competitor to see testosterone drop. That takes time. Like it happens more towards the later part of that, not right away, not at the beginning. So that delayed reaction, I think people really don't understand how long that takes for their body to see that change. And you're talking about it
0: and you're talking about on the other on the opposite end of that spectrum when we're talking about, hey, if metabolically you're not efficient and you want to see that change, it's going to take a while for you to prime yourself to be able to lose body fat to begin with.
1: Right. So when we talk about quick fixes and we talk about 30 day challenges or eight week, you know, all this fast, fast stuff from a marketing standpoint, that's one piece. The second part is a lot of this research is is giving us really great information for people to continue to get excited about slow progress, about Things happening little by little about not having to push their body to the point of insanity, and you still can create change. Like it's really exciting stuff. And I think people listening, it's important to get excited about this because you can still create change without feeling like you have to literally throw yourself under the bus and quote unquote go balls to the wall. There's different ways that you can do it. And that's pretty cool. It's pretty interesting to feel like there are other options.
0: You know it's funny you use the word insanity. That makes me think of uh Shanti. Insanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And it was uh it was it was like reverse, uh almost kind of like reverse hit training where it was yeah. like long duration, high intensity, mm-hmm. and short duration. It was basically kind of like Tabata, right? Yeah. Tabata's mm-hmm. long duration, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, uh, 10 seconds of rest. And then so you have longer durations where your heart rate is up, and then you have shorter durations versus the flip side, which would be the opposite, but it just kind of made me think about that because I think of the marketing of that. And I think of yeah. how people go from the couch to I'm just going to jump to insanity. Yeah.
1: And,
0: you know, <laughs> it's-, it's like it's insanity for you to think that you're just yeah. going to go and you're going to do this program and then you're going to keep the weight off. And, you know, all this, you know, we have like P90X during that time, yeah. too. Yeah. And then uh, Metrics tried to come up with their uh, it was like 360 something. I don't even know. But yeah, there was a, a period of time where that type of genre of Mm-hmm. Weight loss program was big. Yeah. And I haven't seen those in a while. I'm getting no, because, a little off well, topic here. I know. <laughs> go ahead.
1: I'll I won't go. Ahead. Go ahead. Keep going.
0: You want to get into it?
1: Well, no, I was just gonna say <laughs> I, no, we won't get deep into it. But all I'm saying is if you think of the the word insanity comes to my mind because a lot of clients come to me with this frantic tone: like, I, I have to get this done. I this has to happen right now. I've got a wedding in six months I have or forget six months. I get I have a wedding in six days. <laughs> like I'm things like, are going to so happen. So when, pe- when,
0: when people come to me like that, I'm like, just, can you breathe for a second?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm this like, is the reason why head, when we
0: your head's going to pop off.
1: Yeah. Well, but but my point of that is I'm hoping that people will listen to this episode and breathe and their head won't pop off because there's other options and there's ways to do this where you don't have to have that freak out or that insanity mindset. You can actually think this through. And I think the big piece, too, is that it's planned. Like, I know we're going to talk about this. I'm kind of getting off topic, but.
0: so let's get into. So Go let's ahead. get back to what I was talking about, which was the physiological benefits yeah, yeah, of yeah. intermittent energy restriction and what's going on here. Right. So thyroid hormone, like I was talking about, we know that that decreases when you're dieting, especially when you're leaner. And what thyroid does is it controls your metabolic rate. Right. You have low or you have hypothyroid, people have heard about hypothyroid, where if you don't have enough T3 or T4 or or any combination of things, if you don't have enough of that, then you end up having a hard time losing weight or even gaining weight because it slows down your metabolic rate. So Mm -hmm. that's what happens. Essentially, what's happening is you're in an energy restriction, your body's saying there's not enough energy coming in. Let me tamp down my thyroid so that we can preserve energy. And it's just a mechanism that says, "Okay, like we just need to survive for a little bit longer. I'm just going to burn less energy. Mm -hmm. So what what we find here is there's a study on postmenopausal women. And the study showed that after 10 days of dieting, the reductions in thyroid hormone were returned to baseline after a 10 day diet break Mm -hmm. where calories were brought back to maintenance. So Mm -hmm. what we find is one of the benefits of doing a diet break is going to be increases in thyroid hormone. One of the other potential benefits, and this is, there's like a small mouse study on this, but um, we need to obviously look further into this, is there's the potential for increased leptin, which leptin is the hormone that is produced by your fat cells and that signals satiety. So that's your body's way of saying, hey, you've got enough stored energy here and then your fat cells are releasing leptin to tell your body, don't be hungry, don't eat, stop eating. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a satiety hormone. But even more than a satiety hormone, leptin is also a hormone that controls your metabolic rate, similar to thyroid hormone that I just talked about. Mm -hmm. Right. So what that also says is, hey, we not only have enough energy stored in these fat cells here. So I want you to not only stop eating, but let's also ramp up utilization of some of that energy. Yeah, because we can afford to. Yeah. And what happens with dieting sometimes is, well, what ultimately happens with dieting is that you have a suppression of leptin, which is part of what makes you hungry when you're dieting. Mm -hmm. It's a normal mechanism. You're not getting enough energy coming in. Your fat cells stop releasing leptin, and then you no longer get that 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 satiety like, hey, you're you're feeling good and you're not hungry. You're now all of a sudden hungry because your body's saying, hey, there's not enough energy coming in. So let me slow down metabolism again, just like with thyroid. And let me also just tell you to eat more and get more energy in and put some more into these reserves. Yeah. Now, it doesn't matter how really how fat you are and how much body fat you have, because your body's just going to sense that there's not like that's not dictated by how much fat you I mean, it is to some extent, but your body's going to say even if you have excess fat stored, you don't have enough energy coming in. So just be a little bit more hungry. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that we have here is we have a potential for increases of the hormone peptide YY, which signals for suppression of appetite, similar to leptin. Uh, It also affects uh, your your gastrointestinal system, gastric motility, things of that sort. And this speaks to more of like the adherence side of things, because when we're talking about appetite, we're talking about your ability to adhere to it. So ultimately what we're saying here is if we can do things to control your thyroid hormone, regulate your metabolic rate, control your hunger hormones Mm -hmm. by doing this intermittent calorie restriction, then we can help you with the adherence side of things. Exactly.
1: And And minimize that frantic.
0: Exactly. Right. So what the research is showing is just that is that there's there are changes to your metabolic rate. There are changes to your metabolism. And by having intermittent uh, calorie restriction versus continuous, uh, you might be able to mitigate some of that um, that those changes in your body, which, is evident in some of the research. Obviously, there is more to uncover here. I'm sure we'll cover other hormones. The other hormone I want to talk about is testosterone. Yeah, testosterone is uh, decreased. We see uh, and I'll kind of speak to the men that are listening to this podcast is, you know, testosterone is a big hormone for men. It's a lot higher in men. And when you diet, testosterone decreases. And there are a whole host of metabolic issues that come with low testosterone. You get tired, you're fatigued, you move less, your non-exercise activity, thermogenesis goes down, your muscle mass, because I mean, not just the fact that you're in a calorie deficit, so that's not necessarily protein sparing, right? So you're breaking down potentially more protein, uh, but you can have decreases in muscle mass because of the fact that you have lower testosterone levels, because one of testosterone's jobs is to increase muscle protein synthesis, Mm -hmm. right? That's people who take anabolic steroids because it increases so rapidly muscle protein synthesis and allows you to synthesize from the protein you eat breaks down into amino acids. It allows your body to synthesize more of that into muscle, right? So if you lose muscle, you're dropping your resting metabolic rate because muscle is very metabolically active. And we've talked, we talk about this all the time is that the more muscle you have, the higher your resting metabolic rate is. And then Nicole, I want to really get into the psychological aspect of this. And this is a lot of your area here mm-hmm. is, is the psychology of it. So let's kind of talk about, I, I really wanted to start with uh, planned versus not planned and yeah. what the detriment is when we're talking from a, uh, a psychological standpoint on planned refeeds versus just Uh, like ad libitum, like we talked about with that one study and what the difference is there.
1: Well, I think the planned versus unplanned. The one thing I will say about that that really stands out to me is the fear that most people, I would probably say more females than males, but who knows, um, is the fear that if it's if they are planning, even planning maintenance calories for my female clients, if I say take a diet break for a week, the fear of doing that is so great. Are you sure? Is it going to ruin all my progress? Like women are so conditioned to think that they can't take diet breaks because it will ruin everything or they don't feel comfortable allowing themselves more calories because they're afraid they may go off the rails or not be able to control that feeling of having more food.
0: They don't trust themselves.
1: No. And that's a huge, huge piece to build rebuilding your relationship with food. If if. If you are listening and you feel fear about taking a diet break or eating three days on the weekend, like Darone mentioned, and having 400 extra calories, and then going back on Monday and going back into your deficit, if you are fearing that, like anxiety, obsession, stress, there is an issue there. We have to work on your relationship with food. You should not be fearing that. And this research not only helps support taking some of that fear away, but like you said, at the beginning, Darone, we can have all the research in the world. And then I try and explain that to clients and females. They don't believe it. They're stressed. They're worried. Are you sure to be able to do this?
0: Or, or they do believe it. And they're like, I get what you're saying. And it totally makes sense. But I'm still scared. There's yeah. still a block. And what that should I me, eat?
1: Like they well, want an exact they want exact of that 400 calories. It's not just about having 400. Calories. Well, where should I put it? How much should I have? can i have a drink can i have well, bread so
0: here's the thing but Obsessed. but even even outside of even just thinking that that to me is that that f- it's it's like that fake fear you know what i saw a uh, i was driving this morning behind a guy on a motorcycle and he was wearing a sweatshirt and in big letters it said your anxiety is lying to you
1: yeah
0: right and that yeah. is uh, that's what that's, that's what's it. going on here right you yep. have this fear and you have this anxiety that's completely irrational because you're telling me i get what you're saying daron and you totally make sense but I still can't get past like I can't do yeah. it.
1: Yeah. So the planned versus unplanned, how I explain it to clients is that we're going to make this we're going to do this sp- in a very planned way, in a controlled way so that you don't have to feel fearful and we'll work through the types of food and how much food and where the calories go and why you're doing it, how you feel and. I mean, anybody that knows me as a coach, if you've been listening long enough, knows that I love practicing things. I like trying things out and getting clients to figure out what works best for them. So this to me is just so epic because we can use these diet strategies or diet breaks to figure out when you have a fear of adding more food, what works, what felt really good to have that made you feel like you could have that extra 400 calories, but not feel like it's out of control. It's great practice for building your relationship with food. It's great practice to experiment and try different things. And you shouldn't fear that. I want you to embrace it and be empowered by it and create this long-term success. So planned versus unplanned to me is about really going through the experience of what, what can you do and what maybe isn't the most optimal for the person. Um, But you know, we can create, you know, what works best for you. And then once you have the plan and you know what works, now you have this to implement forever. If you go on vacation and you know what feels good and you know how much you can have or not can have well, but so works I, really
0: well. To that point, Nicole, and this was something that I really wanted to mention was that if you are somebody that is working with a coach, I think that it's important that your coach knows ahead of time, if you have a planned vacation coming up, let's say in a couple of weeks or in a month, that if your coach is planning those, maybe you're doing continuous, uh, continuous diets. I mean, that's not like far-fetched. I've done that. And we talked about, you know, people who are on the heavier side, I think that they can, they can do longer. I don't think I know that they can do longer uh, stretches of continuous dieting versus Mm -hmm. people who are leaner. We'll probably want to do smaller stretches. So we'll talk about what that looks like.
1: Well, just even from a mental standpoint, someone that goes. Well, let me
0: let me me finish. All right. (laughs) But what I'll say about that, uh, that planned, like Nicole, you said, if you're going on vacation or something, Mm -hmm. it's perfectly fine. Like, I don't expect you as my client to be in that calorie deficit while you're at on vacation. I do expect you to pay attention to what you're doing. Uh, and I would like to if you let me know up front, I'd like to have that conversation and plan it out and figure out how listen. You're not going to get it perfect when you're on vacation because you're not there with a food scale and a measuring cup and all this <laughs> stuff. But to plan out roughly what you're going to eat, how many calories you're going to eat and give you that freedom so that you can also enjoy your vacation, because that's part of sustainability, too. Yeah, well,
1: that's part of the practice is being able. You're going to go on vacation for life, so you want to be able to practice what that looks like and how that feels. So planned versus unplanned. If we can get over the fear and the anxiety or the stress about about creating diet breaks that are planned versus unplanned, I think for most people it feels more comfortable. It, it you learn a lot about yourself. And like I said, it, it gives you it empowers you and you learn more as opposed to being afraid. And then you can just get rid of the fear and the guilt and the shame or whatever might go on with your relationship with food to do better as you learn more.
0: Yeah. And I, I also will say we're talking maintenance here, right? And like I mentioned earlier, the mm-hmm. if you're eating in a surplus on if you do one week on one week off and you eat in a surplus big enough for that that yeah, second you knock week it out of the park <laughs> that's yeah that second week is going to negate that week of calorie deficit right we're talking about eating at maintenance and you know how do we figure that out for you what we do is we so nicole and i will calculate your estimated maintenance
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we'll work off of that and we'll see how many calories you're eating when you start i mean it's probably going to be you'll probably be in a continuous uh deficit for a little bit until we kind of Streamline everything your carbs, your fat, your protein. We figure out what your actual maintenance is by having you eat at maintenance and not gain any weight. Right? If you're not Mm -hmm. gaining any weight, you're at maintenance. Mm -hmm. You're not losing any weight, you're also at maintenance. So we Mm -hmm. figure out what your maintenance is. And then from there, we say, okay, we're going to create a deficit and then we're going to do this cycling. And what I will say, what I didn't mention earlier is uh, part of the uh, refeed or the diet breaks, one of the advantages that you get from it is you get replenishment of glycogen. Uh, you may get a little bit more protein in this time. So you're kind of negating that loss of muscle. Um, but the glycogen is important because that is going to aid in your workouts as well. When you're in a a calorie deficit, you're just constantly depleting glycogen. Like your muscles are getting flatter and flatter over time. And, uh, I think one of the benefits is that when you're doing those refeeds, like, let's say you do one week on one week off or two weeks on two weeks off. Those two weeks, you're going to have great workouts, far better than you are if you're going to just continue in a deficit. And then what I'll say is this, Nicole, uh, outside of being like just planning it out and being in maintenance uh, and understanding what maintenance looks like for you, you want to be in your caloric parameters. You want to have adequate protein. You still want to focus on maintaining adequate protein in your deficit Mm -hmm. and outside, uh, and you want to make sure you're having adequate fiber, adequate fruits and vegetables, whole grains, nutrient density. You still want to focus on those things. You don't want this refeed to just be a free for all. And it's right. interesting because, you know, prior to me reading any of this research back when I was bodybuilding, my refeeds were just that they were just
1: yeah, crap, a free
0: for all. I will say that there is a piece to that, too, where your digestive system, after mm-hmm. dieting for a period of time, just also might not be able to handle that. Yeah. So that's a big stress for your digestive system.
1: The big piece to that, too, is quality of food, which I think when you talk from a mental well, that,
0: that's what I'm saying, right?
1: Right. Yeah. from a mental, when we talk about the mental part of this, sustainability, planning it out versus just, you know, kind of going a wall guilt, fear, shame over being able to control whether you can come into maintenance and then come back to deficit. The big piece to controlling all of that is the quality of the food that you're eating. Like this is the next piece. Like if you're eating really good in your deficit and I should good meaning, good quality, everything you just mentioned, Daron, right? And then you're sprinkling in some of the highly palatable foods or things that are just, you know, that you love, you're doing that anyway in the deficit. When you go to maintenance, you're going to do the same thing. You're having more calories, but you're still eating good quality food with the sprinkle in of the good stuff. And that's a big piece to like the guilt and shame and fear over overdoing it. If you have like an 11 day calorie deficit and then the three day is what you're describing an all out like <laughs> Big Macs, French fries, shakes, the whole shebang, and it's all sugar and crappy food. The reason why people tend to feel out of control and not be able to get back on track is because that's the guilt and shame of doing just that.
0: And they had they didn't allow that like you. The key thing that you brought in there is that they allowed themselves to have that even when they were in a deficit. Yes. And then that then it's not like, oh, man, I'm depriving myself of all these foods. And now all of a sudden I'm eating it. Now I can't control myself. I can't stop.
1: Yes. Yes. That's the dangerous
0: place that you don't want to be in.
1: Yeah. And when you think of long term dieting when the like, what do you call it, the consistent or the consecutive dieting? I think that's what people tend to do is not only are they continuous, not only are they in a deficit, but they're also eating the same foods. They're not being flexible. They're not giving themselves some freedom. And so then when they go into a a, um, refeed or they go to a diet break, they go and have all the foods they haven't eaten in 16 weeks. And then that's a whole different. That's not what we're talking about. you know and that i think is where all of the control and fear and guilt and shame and i mean i'm huge into the emotional part of it mentally you should not be feeling that it should be so comfortable and cozy and feel so good that you're confident and empowered to make the food choices that you're making because you're naturally having them maybe at a lower you know amount in your deficit or maybe less than in your deficit. But when you when you increase to your maintenance and you're in that diet break, you're having some of the things that you love, but not everything all at once. So there's a level of balance. I guess what I'm trying to say that I still has to be present.
0: Yeah. So Nicole, let's just talk strategy here. And what I gather from the research is I think that if you are on the heavier side or you're newer to dieting, You can probably do two to three or maybe even four weeks of being in a deficit and then a week at maintenance. And that that's kind of where I would put that individual where people who are leaner, they tend to need more frequent refeeds because like we talked about those metabolic adaptations may be greater in leaner individuals. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that is where I would implement in 11 and three or Potentially, I've also been known to do 14 and three. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, the only thing that I would say about doing just three days is there is some research that may suggest that you need like seven to 14 days to really mitigate some of that uh, metabolic adaptation in some cases, Mm -hmm. especially uh, for individuals that are leaner. I'm not sure when it comes to and again, like there's a lot of research that we need to uncover here.
1: So wait, you think of you think your timing is justified on what the physical is. And my timing is based off of mindset and mental. It
0: depends on the it depends on the client, right? And it depends on what they can handle.
1: Because I got some I have some clients that if I tell them to do 14 days, they're more there's more anxiety over that than if I say take four or five days so I also I know you hate that it depends. But it's not that I hate it. Really the, it's does. not that
0: I hate the it depends, because honestly, the reality is that in, in a lot of nutrition and this is why we have coaches to f- help you figure this stuff out. Yeah, because it depends is a is a answer is a common answer that we give. And that's the unfortunate part. I know that everybody always wants to hear and the I definitive. want to. And I want to as much as I can try and give you stuff that is like, hey, like this is sound. Go ahead and execute. But the unfortunate yeah. piece is honestly, anybody who speaks in definitives like that really usually doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. So I I get what you're saying when it comes mm-hmm. to the if depends. And yes, yeah, so from a behavior standpoint, it also depends on who can handle what. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying I'm not saying that's the only determining factor, yeah, but yeah. I'm just saying that from just from a physiological standpoint, Mm-hmm. Uh, what seems to make sense in, you know, me, I'm the research heavy part of this yeah. podcast, right? So <laughs> I'm just giving you what the research says in terms of
1: where the uh, salt and pepper shaker, baby, the salt and pepper
0: sh- I'm the <laughs> research, you're the brain and behavior, right? So um, that's just what it seems like. Uh, and listen, either way, uh, metabolic adaptations aside or not, I've had tremendous progress with leaner individuals doing a 14 and three or an 11 and mm-hmm. three, like in that one study, I will say that if you're, if you're looking at weight and you're looking at changes during this time, like mm-hmm. if somebody were to, let's say mindset wise, mm-hmm. um, I got I'm going to jump on the scale. It's going to be up like, yeah, well you should kind of expect for a few days for that scale to be up because you've increased your glycogen. You've increased mm-hmm. your total body water water Uh, with with glycogen for every one molecule of glycogen that you store, you store three molecules of water. So you're going to have more water sitting inside of your muscle. Uh, You're also just going to have more food volume in your body. Right. So I'm this is where I say I'm like, don't really just focus on weight. And Nicole, I, I had talked to you about progress pictures this week Mm -hmm. where I'm like, hey, I've, I've got somebody who's not budging much on weight and doesn't really, didn't really see the connection of how he's losing a, a body fat and he looks mm-hmm. better. But thankfully to the Eat Right Nutrition app where we have people upload the progress pictures, Yeah, I was able to send him a side-by-side of two weeks of a difference. Yeah. And he's like, holy shit, there are tremendous differences, right? So, and a, this is somebody that I've been doing frequent diet breaks with. So and and I had him take the picture immediately after a diet break. So he was actually heavier when he took that picture. But he was a lot leaner when he took that picture. So just keep in mind that like the scale is not the end all be all. And it doesn't matter. It's just saying, hey, there's more food and water and glycogen in your body.
1: I love this is the stuff I love. Daron sends me these things and I like literally dance in my kitchen, my kitchen because it's so true. I've had clients this whole We're at what? What month are we in? June, almost July. From January to June, like halfway through the year, and they're crushing it and they're enjoying life. I every podcast, I think I use the word fun. (laughs) So I'm just gonna keep perpetuating that on episode 100. We're gonna continue to have fun as we head into uh, more episodes. It's really important to make sure that you're enjoying this whole process. It's about health, wellness, and being a good, happy healthy mind, too. So if it's creating stress and uncertainty and negativity, then I, I think you need to reassess
0: and you need to find what works for you. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to leave it there, Nicole. That okay. is episode 100. And ladies and gentlemen, as always, if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend and you'll hear us next week.